If you've been at Crossbridge for any length of time, you know that this is a friendly church. This is a friendly church. I've gotten so many compliments about Crossbridge, but the one I get the most is about you. It's not even about the teaching. It's not even about uh, any of the programs, but it's about you. You are a good bunch of people. And I think part of the reason why this church is so friendly, and I'm not just talking about uh, one campus in particular. I'm talking about all our five campuses. Uh, there's just a culture in the Crossbridge family just filled with great, nice people. Uh, and, and again, I think that the reason for that uh, is because uh, of the leadership of our church. Crossbridge is a church where uh, the leadership, they treat each other as family. In fact, we like to say that we are a family of churches on mission together, seeking the renewal of cities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest joys of my life is that I get to do ministry. I get to be on mission. I get to do life with some of my closest friends. That's a huge blessing. And I've learned to appreciate that more and more through the years to the point that today I don't want to do anything in life unless I'm doing it with friends. I don't want a vacation unless I'm doing it with friends. I don't want to do ministry unless I'm doing it with friends because the kingdom of God is a kingdom made up of friends. Jesus calls us his friends. So today uh, in this Love Works series, we're going to talk about the topic of friendships and the importance of friendships. And we're going to be reading some verses here from the book of Proverbs. Uh, we're not reading from one particular chapter. We picked up verses uh, from a bunch of different chapters in Proverbs that address this topic of friendship. So would you follow along with me? We're going to start from uh, Proverbs 17, and then we're going to go all the way to Proverbs 29, okay? Just a few verses here. It starts like this. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. And whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. This is the word of the Lord. As we think about this topic of friendship today... I want us to think about it in four different ways. First, let's talk about the need for true friends. Secondly, the mark of true friends. Thirdly, the obstacle to true friendships. And then lastly, let's talk about the ultimate friend. First, uh, the need for true friendships. Uh, the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon, who was the wisest man that has ever lived and existed. And in this book, he devotes a lot of portions to talk about this topic of friendship. He acknowledges that it is not wise to go through life 
without friends. It is a foolish thing to try to live your life alone, isolated, in loneliness. Life without friends does not make sense. I like to say that uh, friends are so important because when you have friends, the highs, we all go through highs in life, are so much sweeter and the lows are not as bitter. Now think about that. When you're going through uh, moments of extreme happiness in life, you're celebrating the birth of a child or a promotion, it's kind of like boring if you don't have anyone to celebrate with. It's a sad thing, actually. If in your high moments of life, you have no one to celebrate with. But when you're going through the valleys of life, because life is obviously filled with valleys. It's not only made up of high-top moments, it's made up of low moments as well. But it makes it much easier to go through hardships when you know that you are not alone, when you have friends by your side. So it's a matter of wisdom. We need friends. But also because we human beings, we were made for intimacy. See, we were created in the image of a God who in himself is community. Uh, We believe that God is one, but he exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And within the Godhead, there is a community of love. There's a beautiful dance that takes place, as St. Augustine used to point out. And each of the persons of the Trinity, they are giving to each other. They are serving each other. They are putting the other one before themselves, which makes the God of Christianity a beautiful God. And we were created in the image of this God. I don't know if you remember the Genesis account of creation when God had created uh, that beautiful garden. And on the sixth day, he created man. He created Adam. And he put Adam in the middle of the garden. And all the different animals that had been created, they had their own companions. But Adam was alone, and the Godhead looked at Adam and said, it is not good that man is alone. Let us, see, that's the Godhead, the God who is one but exists in three persons. Let us, in the plural, make him a suitable helper. And then, obviously, we know the story that Eve was created. When we get to uh, verse 24 of Proverbs 18, which was the second verse that, that we read. Uh, it, the text tells us here, the, ver- the, the proverb says that, that a friend sticks closer than a brother. Now, I, I want us to focus on this word here, sticks, because it's also a word that appears in the Hebrew in the Genesis account. You know, this word sticks here can be translated in Hebrew also as the word to cleave. Remember when uh, God gives Eve to Adam and he says a man should leave his father and mother and he should cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? That's the same word here. The word that 
appears here as sticks also means cleave. And what does cleave mean? See, uh, cleave is a deep word that because it means commitment out of passionate love. And the reason why in the first two verses that we read that compares sibling relationships to friendships and the reason why it says that friends are actually better than siblings. Some of you are listening to this and you're saying, amen, amen. Some of you are like, no, I have some good siblings, but maybe it's because you're a friend to your sibling, right? But the reason why the Bible says that uh, one relationship, it can actually be superior to the other is because when you go through hardships, your siblings, your family will be there for you because that's what family is for. It says here uh, in the first verse that we read in Proverbs 17, 17, a brother is born for adversity. They may not like you. You may not like them. You may not want to grab a drink with them. You may not even like to go to their house. You may not want a vacation with them. But if you need them, chances are that they will show up to help you. But friends, the Bible says here, they love at all times. See, we were made for intimacy, and friendships have the power to bring something of value into our lives that the other relationships don't have. We're living through a time right now of crisis. And not only is this crisis existing because of the pandemic, but because people are lonely. I read an article this past week called The Pandemic Paradox, that because we have been practicing social isolation, we have connected to people in our family, in our immediate family, a little bit more just because we're just present at home, but we're also connecting to people uh, virtually as well, you know, through Zoom, uh, through social media platforms. And what the article was saying is, even though we are at home with some of our immediate family, because of the culture that has shaped us, this technology culture that has shaped us, we live isolated lives within the context of a family. And that is surfacing in many homes right now. And you would see pictures, right? I don't know if you've seen these pictures, but maybe this is a picture in your own family, a real-life picture of people around a dinner table, of family members sitting on a couch, but each looking at their own device, phone or computer, connected to people virtually with no human touch. So the paradox is that even though we live in a very connected world, we are the loneliest generation that has ever existed. It's gotten so bad that it's become a, a public health issue. You know, in countries like Great Britain, I don't know if you knew this, but they have hired a minister of loneliness. Never have people felt so lonely. Why? Because we were created for intimacy and friendships are able to provide that and we have superficial friends, but we don't have real friends. So that's the need for friends. But also, here's the third reason why we need friends. We deeply need friends. It's because our friends, 
They help us to become who we are. They shape us. There's a survey that was once done that says that you are the average of your five closest friends. So think about the five closest people in your life. You're right there in the middle, morally, spiritually, even physically. See, tell me who your friends are, and I'll tell you what your future looks like. The Bible says this, that people that hang out with good people, with wise people, Proverbs 13, 20 talks about that. People that hang out with wise people tend to get wiser. And people who hang out with foolish people tend to get dumber or more foolish. I can think about in my own life the moments of, of great achievement and, and, and great conquests in my own life. When I look and I reflect upon those times, I was usually surrounded by certain people that God used in that moment in time in my life to inspire, to incentivize me, to encourage me to move forward. And in my lowest moments, lowest moments of my life, I was surrounded by people that were bringing me down. I remember when I was in middle school, I had this guy in my class that I really admire him. He was so cool. He had the coolest clothes. And uh, I always wanted to dress like him, to be like him. And at one point, I, I asked him, say, hey, how come, man, you have so much style? You know, I love the, the stuff that you put on, and I love your drip. And he says, I'll come with me after school and I'll show you. And, and he took me to a shopping center that was right around the corner from our school. And uh, I could see where he was getting his money. He was shoplifting. And he asked me one day, he said, uh, do you want to do it? And I said with my head, no, this is a bad idea. But with my mouth, I said, yes. And so I began to shoplift with him after school, and we would bring some stuff back, and we would sell it to our uh, fellow students or classmates. And one day I got caught, and it was probably one of the lowest moments in my life. Never my parents had felt so much shame when they found out. It was really, really bad. But I was surrounded by people that were dragging me down. And if you look into your own life, you'll see that as well. That the best moments that you've had, you can point out and point to people that God has put around you to push you forward and bring you up. And in the lowest times, you'll see people that have played a bad influence in your life. So that is the need for true friends. Now, let's talk about the marks of, of true friends. Uh, and, and I think that this is an important point for us to talk through and to think about because... This is what you ought to look for as you are forging friendships. But not only that, these are things that you must be aware of so that you can also be a good friend to others as well. These could be characteristics that you ought to think through and cultivate in your own life. And I want to talk about three in particular 
But, you know, here's a summary of all three, and then we'll talk about the three, okay? Basically, how do you know a good friend? A good friend, as C.S. Lewis used to to say, is somebody that always lets you in and never lets you down. Let me say that again. A true friend is someone that always lets you in and never lets you down. Therefore, they are number one, reliable people. They are there for you, as we read in the first verse, at all times. They're not with you all the time, but they're with you at all times. See, life is made up of good moments and bad moments. And the best friends that you will ever have are the ones that are with you through thick and thin, are those who will be with you not only when life is good, but when life is bad as well. And I realized in my own life that there was a problem to some of the people that we have in our lives that we call friends, but they're only present during the good times, or they're only present during the bad times. What's the problem? If someone is in your life and they're only present during the good times, that means that they are probably taking advantage of you. They're using your clout. They're using your ability uh, to put on parties or maybe buy things uh, because they're opportunities for them, right? Because you are able to introduce them to certain people. They're taking advantage of you. They're using you. But the people that are with you only through the bad times can be problematic as well because they may see you as a project to be working on. There's a lot of people out there that the way in which they feel valuable is by doing things for others. It's that need to always be needed. There are people that latch onto others only when they're going through difficult moments, and it's not so much about the person's need, but their need to be validated for being a help to others. Your good friends are always going to be reliable. Like the text tells us, they're going to be with you at all times because good friends always let you in but never let you down. Second, secondly, a second mark of a true friend is that they are they're real. They're real. See, uh, the text tells us here that true friends are earnest, earnest people. Look at um, Proverbs 27, 9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest, underline that word there, earnest counsel. True friends, they are earnest. They always give you what you need because they have nothing to hide, right? They're going to be real in front of you. And when you need truth, candor, they're going to give you truth. They're going to be candid with you. And when you need compassion, when you need love, they're going to give that to you as well. And the verses of Proverbs 27, we read that as well. We read verse 9, but then read verse 5 and 6. Look, let's go back to those verses. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love, and wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. 
a true friend is going to care so much about you that they're not going to care if you're going to be offended when they tell you the truth. Now, if you have people in your life that they're always afraid to confront you because they don't want to upset you or uh, they don't want to make you feel bad, at the end of the day, think about that. They don't love you, but they love themselves because they, 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 they don't want to lose the friendship. And so they would rather put up with lies. They would rather see you screwing up and failing than call you out. Are they loving themselves. True friends, they're going to give you the truth, but they're going to give you compassion as well when you need it. And that's what verse 9, the verse that we read, is all about. In your life, there are like perfume and incense that bring joy to the heart. When you're going through tough moments, they're going to be there. They're going to be that encouragement. When life stinks, literally, they're going to be that sweet incense. Their presence is going to be like that sweet incense in your life. After all, truth without love is not truth, and love without truth is not love. So, true friends, not only are they reliable, but they're also very real. But also, thirdly, they are reciprocal. There's reciprocal health and growth taking place when you are in a relationship with a true friend. 27.17 reads this way, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's through friction that you two are growing together. It's a two-way street, right? Like a true friend, you can measure by the progress that happens and takes place in your own life because there's mutual investment happening and taking place. You know, I have friends in my life that, that that's how it works. Some of them, I have made a spiritual investment in them, and in the process, they have made me a better leader. I have made a spiritual investment in them, and they have uh, helped me to become better at sports or martial arts as I, as I practice and train martial arts, as you guys know, right? So there's always mutual development. If only one person... If only one person is progressing, is moving forward, is growing out of that relationship, someone is being abused. Someone is being used. Because in a healthy relationship, there is reciprocal growth. Both are always growing. Now, what happens when you, after the sermon, you evaluate and you see that there's some relationships in your life that you thought these people were true friends, but when you compare it with these marks, you see that these things are not there, that there's not reciprocal growth happening and taking place, that it's become a one-way street. What do you do? And what I usually say is that, you know, you don't cancel friends. So don't cancel friends, but what you do is you put friends in quarantine, <laughs> You establish boundaries, okay? You create some distance, and then you invest in those relationships where these things are happening and taking place. But don't cancel people. So those are the marks of, of true friends. Now, there are some obstacles, obviously, 
to friendships. We all have obstacles. It's not as easy to find friends like that. And even when you do, you know, things happen. So let's think about the obstacles that keep some of us from making friends, the reason why we live lonely lives, the reason why we are isolated. You're thinking there today, hey, why don't I have friends like these? Here are some of the obstacles. And I want to talk about two today. First, it's clear in the Bible, we got to say it, sin. Sin. Think about this. All of us here want to be known. Because, as I've said before, all of us, we have been creating the image of God, who is a community in himself, and we were made for intimacy. Nobody can thrive in life without intimate relationships, without close friends. So we want to be known. Deep inside your heart right now, you want to be known. You want to be known to the depths. But we all are afraid that if we are known, we will not be loved. We think to ourselves, if I really open up and allow people in, because a true friend always lets you in, right? If I let people into my life and they see everything about me, they may not like me. I doubt if they will. And because that's the tension that exists in our life, right? To want to be known, but afraid of not being loved, if people actually truly know us, we hide. That's what sin is. Sin is hiding. When Adam and Eve, they fell in the garden, they disobeyed God. The Bible says that they noticed for the very first time that they were naked and they were ashamed. And so what they did was they covered their nakedness with fig leaves. And God obviously saw that it was insufficient to cover their nakedness and God clothed them with skin, with leather, by sacrificing an animal and covering their nakedness. And we're always hiding. We all hide. Jumpo Sartre uh, used to tell this illustration of the keyhole. He said that uh, this is how humanity works in terms of relationships. It's as if you were in a room. Think about yourself in a room. And you're peeping through a keyhole into another room where people are interacting with one another, and you're having such a great time because you can see them, but they can't see you. And then Jumpo Sartre says, until you notice that there's another door behind you and there's another keyhole and someone is looking through that keyhole. So we hide and we're exposed. Sin keeps us, and the shame of sin keeps us from pursuing real, authentic relationships. But here's the second reason, fear. Fear. We're all afraid, as I said, of not only being rejected, but not corresponded in love. We are afraid that uh, people may betray us, and some of you have been betrayed in the past, and it hurts, and you're afraid of going through that experience again. Some of you are afraid of abandonment. 
I fear those two things in my own life. It's been hard because I've been betrayed in the past. And living in a city like Miami, that you invest in relationships and then, boom, people move away. They've asked me before, what is the hardest part about living and doing ministry in Miami? Is the transiency factor. That you invest in people, you build relationships, and then people just leave. And through the years, this has jaded me. And I've been able to realize that, that they, those are my fears. And by the way, as my platform has increased, these fears sometimes have increased as well in my life. And God's been showing that to me, and he's been revealing that to me because we must take risks, even if there is a possibility of being wounded and hurt. The alternative of isolating ourselves, of shielding ourselves, is much worse. C.S. Lewis talked about that in his book, The Four Loves. Listen to this quote. He said, uh, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. Listen to this. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. You know what he's saying? Is the alternative of shielding ourselves is to lose our humanity. He says if we protect our hearts and we allow no one in to our lives, it's like being in a casket, buried underground. Yes, you will become impenetrable but you will die because, again, we were made for intimacy. We were made for true relationships. So those are the obstacles that we must overcome. But there's also a power that's available to us so that we can overcome these obstacles and pursue friendships with the characteristics that we've talked about, reliability, realness, and being reciprocal or reciprocity. And that power is found in the ultimate friend. We are not left alone. There is an ultimate friend. See, the reason why we don't have the friend that our hearts desire is because we have not become the friends that other people need. And what the Bible teaches us is this, is that if you find the friend that your heart desires, you will become the friend that other people need. Where do we find that friend? Well, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, Jesus has just finished celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. 
He had washed his disciples' feet. He had eaten with them. He had been betrayed by one of them. And he now is in the garden, moving into the garden with his disciples. And he says this to them in John 15, verses 13 through 15. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made it known to you. Jesus is saying, hey, I don't call you disciples. Even though I am your master, I don't call you students. I call you friends. I have not only let you into my life, but I have let you into the most precious relationship of all. The relationship that I share with my father. Look what he says in the last verse, remember? He says, all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. I have truly let you in. And he says, you know, you know the greatest proof that I have become a friend to you? Not only have I let you in, but I will not let you down. I'm going to give you the greatest proof. I'm going to give up my life for your sakes. The disciples still don't understand what's about to happen. They, they have no idea of what Jesus is talking about. They don't understand the depth of his comment. This is something that they would only understand later. But nevertheless, the greatest proof that God loves us is that he gave his only son for us. Because God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he gave his only son for whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You will have the life of God through belief in Jesus. Jesus demonstrates his love for us on the cross. Now, listen. I may not know what you're going through if you're going through a hard moment in life right now. You may feel that God is distant, God is far. You may be asking questions. Does God really love me? Does God have my back? Why is he doing this to me? I may not have the answer to those questions, but for sure I can tell you that it's not because God does not love you. Because how can you say that if he gave his son up for you, if Jesus voluntarily gave his life up for your sakes. It has to be, it has to be because he loves you. And if you find a friend in Jesus, see, you will find the friend that your heart truly longs for. And therefore, you will become the friend that other people need. You will be able to be vulnerable, to take risks in pursuing relationships? Why? Because even if you are known and not corresponded, see that fear that we have of being known but not corresponded, being vulnerable but not being loved, it's okay. Why? Because you have a friend in Jesus 
And he loves you the way that you are. And he has covered all your iniquities and all your sins. And even though you know that there's dark places in your life, there are serious problems with your heart. Jesus has covered you with his righteousness. And now you can afford to be honest because before God, you are as clean as his son is and you are as loved as his son is if through faith you have made Jesus your friend. Through faith, you have appropriated yourself of that which he has done for you. So you can afford to be honest and vulnerable with people. Even though people may judge you, you know that in God's court, you are absolved and you are clean. But you can also be loyal to people because you have learned from Jesus, you have been loved by Jesus, and Jesus was loyal to you even when you dropped the ball on him. Even as you dropped the ball on him. You know, one of the beautiful aspects of that moment of Jesus in the garden with his disciples, the context of John 15, right? is that as he is in the garden, asking his disciples to be there to pray with him and, and for him because he's going through a very difficult moment, they fall asleep on him. They drop the ball on, on him. And it's a picture of our relationship. See, the way that the disciples love Jesus is the way that we love Jesus too. Jesus can love us perfectly because he's God, but we are imperfect lovers. But Jesus yet, he has never dropped the ball on us. When we should have been cut off, he didn't. He showed us mercy and he showed us grace. When times got hard for him in the garden, he swept blood. He asked the Father, if possible, to do away with that cup because he knew what was ahead of him. It got hard. It got harder by the minute. And yet he did not quit on you. He was loyal to you to the end. He's still loyal to you to this day. And that gives you power to be loyal to people as well when you understand that Jesus has been loyal to you. See, when you are a friend of Jesus, when you have made Jesus your friend, you can live an emotionally healthy life even if friends mistreat you, do not correspond you, or betray you. Because you may lose your earthly friends, but you will never lose your heavenly friend in Jesus. I heard one time a preacher said, you know that Jesus is all you need when Jesus is all you have. And that's true. You can even find the power to forgive friends that have betrayed you when you have made a friend in Jesus. You see, Jesus is the friend that your heart truly desires. What you're missing right now is a friend that you can only find in Jesus. And if today you make Jesus the friend that your heart desires, you will have all the friend that your heart needs. Let's pray. Jesus, Today, 
we were reminded of how you have loved us, of how you have turned enemy, enemies into friends. Our Father, we are grateful for the gift of Christ. And today, I pray that those who are listening to this sermon, that you would move in their hearts, Father, and they would reach out and make Jesus the friend that their heart truly desires. Father, the hope that we have for our loneliness, the hope that we have for, for intimacy, for vulnerability, to build trust, to allow people to trust us, is found in the power of the gospel. So, Father, may we appropriate ourselves of that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.